This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how arts, culture, and creativity, especially as applied by young people, can change the world, one community at a time. You're invited each week to learn and laugh while exploring the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. Jeff here with my co-host, Madeline McGurk. Madeline, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I am doing well. It's good to see you uh, as we record and hear your voice. It's been a little while. What's been going on with you lately? Oh man, so much. We've had, um, I'll give you the highlights. We have just announced quite recently our first cohort of ITAC hubs, which I am so excited about. They are going to be national centres set up to support teaching artistries in four different countries, um, which is a huge step forward for our sector and for ITAC too. So really excited about that. I've been working on that. We announced our innovator projects, our new series of think tanks, a whole bunch. So I have been busy, but happily busy. So what about you? What's been happening? That's so excellent. And I'm excited as a as a former, I guess, innovator <laughs> ourselves at Creative Generation. It's really nice to see that work continue and to see those hubs form. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see what happens with those because as you know, as we both know, when we bring people together, really amazing things happen. Um, things here are are also really busy. Um, and when this episode will drop, we'll have just completed our summer residency program. We had four really incredible young practitioners embedded with our organization for 10 weeks. Um, they spent a third of their time learning from us, our project um, collaborators and others throughout our sector. They spent a third of their time working, um, shadowing, um, contributing to various projects and they spent a third of their time leading. So right now, actually at this very moment, they're um, all of them are really deep in their capstone projects leading mm-hmm. um, specific um, organizational, operational type things, research projects, writing or documenting projects, a video is gonna be produced. So there's a lot going on. It's um, really great and definitely really busy, which is odd for the end of summer uh, here, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it's, a, it's a fun time to have sort of all engines firing at, uh, at the, same, uh, nice. the same go of it. Um, But yeah, you know, it's also been really interesting because we as a team are also coming together for a retreat. So Mm -hmm. luckily most of our team um, has been vaccinated and is able to travel and gather together in a safe environment. And it's, we're planning something that I think relates to some of the work that you do and the conversation I know that you had for this week's episode we're spending some time in nature. Uh, we're getting outside of the computers, no Wi-Fi, going out um, to a mountaintop and really taking a minute to reflect on the last two and a half years of our work at Creative Generation, thinking forward to what we really want to accomplish with our work um, and connecting with both each other and our surrounding environment. Um, I love that. Yeah, so it's going to be really, really good. But I know the person that you talked to for today's episode shares that belief as a kind of tactic Mm -hmm. for work. So tell us a little bit about the conversation that you had with Rosa. So Rosa is just, I mean, she's a mind-blowingly amazing, talented, innovative artist. And so I'm so pleased that we had this conversation. She was one of our 
keynote speakers at ITAC 5, um, focusing on local and nomadic practices. She is part of ITAC's Climate Collective, which is a sort of cohort of climate-engaged teaching artists that come together each month and do working group projects. And just generally, is doing. she's just doing some amazing things in the Philippines and beyond, and um, is really rooted in climate work, in gender, and in community building and collective building. So I will let her um, describe in her own words exactly what she does and how and why she does it. But in terms of change making through the arts, she's a really great example of that being done well. Well, great. Without further ado, we'll let our audience listen to the interview and we'll come back on the flip side. Hi, Rosa. Welcome. And thank you so much for being here to talk to me for the Why Change podcast. I am so pleased to be able to talk with you right now and hear more about your work. Um, to give a little background to anyone listening, we were recently on a call together, Rosa and I, during one of our ITAC Climate Collective meetings, where climate-engaged teaching artists come together to connect and collaborate. And I was super intrigued by the work that you're doing, so I'm really excited we get to talk together on this platform. So to get started, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you are in the world right now, and just explain a bit about what it is that you do? Okay, great, Madeline. Thank you so much for this opportunity to tune in to your podcast and also to share the work that we do in the Philippines. So I grew up in a small village in the Philippines and um, basically uh, have been involved uh, as a graduate of psychology where there are vulnerable populations like abused children or uh, women in very vulnerable situations or um, Amoration children, you know, uh, fatherless uh, children who've been abandoned by their um, American servicemen father, and also work with, um, you know, farmers and women in the community. But um, I think the recent uh, work that I'm doing is also very, very interesting, which has really a lot of social justice work, um, which involves incarcerated women and using art has always been, you know, my kind of motivation in working with communities. So I'm a community-engaged artist based in the Philippines, but I also uh, work in the academe and doing some research. But most of this is really community-engaged art practice. And also as a cultural worker, uh, I'm very much engaged with a lot of different cultural communities and also... Uh, interested in doing a lot of cultural preservation and heritage preservation work. So um, maybe the, the most interesting work that I've been doing is really about disaster, uh, post-disaster psychosocial support for mm -hmm. communities. And using art has really evolved from, you know, very organic, you know, like workshops in the communities and, um, having dialogues or community organizing or, um, you know, doing some, you know, very basic um, environmental education for children and biodiversity art camps or earth camps. Mm -hmm. But that's really because I'm pretty much concerned about how we're able to actually have 
a dialogue in the community and how we're able to involve the local communities, especially in the grassroots, um, to be really involved in um, global, global discussions or in, in issues in our own communities. Mm -hmm. So from local to global or um, bringing the voices of this local children, local women and local fishermen and local uh, farmers to really be part of the conversation. And the best uh, experience that I've had in the community is really using art. Mm -hmm. So for children, for example, we, cre we created um, films concerning the environment and using their animation and, and stop motion animation and creating their own mm -hmm. Uh, puppets or creating their own um, beautiful characters about the things that they want to preserve in the environment. And later we um, put them together into animation films and shown in Japan. And it even won some of the best pictures in um, some of the international film festival. So for me, those little turtles that they created became the very powerful voice for children in the global conversation about climate action or environmental issues. And so they also participate in the conversation, they participate in this global action by creating art um, and mm -hmm. making their music, making their own songs and making their own poetry and creating their own artwork becomes a very visual and powerful voice for children yeah. and practical action. So they become part of that conversation. And That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually really inspired also um, by listening to their own, their own stories, for example, um, like connecting it to our cultural. It's very interesting for me how I also um, relate to our own local culture because we have our own local mythology and characters and and local legends <laughs> but also learning from our own language and learning from our own uh, Filipino values and how we use that in our own local story in our own local theater and using that um, kind of also makes it more original and makes it more authentic. Mm -hmm. And it's good for children to actually go back and be connected to their own roots and anchored in their own cultural values. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's pretty much similar to like folk school, like the things that they don't learn in formal schooling are the things that are the most important things in life sometimes. Mm -hmm. So even, even just the simple way of making them create something and solve a problem and a design problem, creating, architectural design in their own way you know like I involved them for example in creating a um, an upcycled you know like recycled house in you know art house and upcycling and creating our own uh, magic sound playground using our local wood and and, and recycled bottles mm -hmm. and and just any found objects actually so for them to be able to see that they can do so much with their own hands that it doesn't take so much to become an artist. Yes. That you can actually you can actually be an artist. You can actually do so much in this world using only your hands with a little more of imagination and experimenting with different materials. You mm -hmm. can do creative and amazing, beautiful things. And I want them to see that. That's why I engage them in 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 this painting, in in sculpting, in installation, in using wood or or stone or using 
um, soil or earth and different mm-hmm. soil and we make them into paintings or sculptures. You know, when, when they're paintings alone or with their artworks alone, I see their inner universe. Mm-hmm. I begin to see this amazing universe of this, you know, like one time I was playing with hundreds of kids because summer sometimes is really the place where I raise the funds, I indulge with like involved with all my other friends and artist friends and multidisciplinary team of amazing people. And we conduct like all these kinds of earth camps and biodiversity camps where the children can really splurge from music playing to instrument making to painting to sculpting, cooking, Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff really, Um, dancing, movement, theater. And to see this very, very shy kid, never been out of the island, never had any experience outside their own homes or very simple things that they do in their own homes and seeing this child creating poetry and making the most beautiful painting and Mm. and expressing herself or himself it's just amazing to see how beautiful is their universe you know the the little universe that they have can I ask a question sorry I want to just make sure I don't lose what you just said because it was so lovely about um using local knowledge and authentically um filipino approaches to the work that you do and i wonder if you could talk a little more about that because that is such an important thing for people to understand is the way that you engage people and keeping it locally relevant authentic to the context you're in could you talk a little more about that and what that looks like this actually um my kind of journey uh, really is coming from experience of the indigenous communities mm-hmm. when I realize we have such amazing wealth of spirituality and knowledge that is so intrinsic in, in, in connection to respect for earth, respect for resources, respect for, for all the God, you know, like God given Mm -hmm. resource, life giving sources in the world. And maybe very similar to some other cultural minorities sample is how we are taught to take care of the land or um, how we are taught to take care of the river because there are spirits everywhere. They are, we are not the only ones living on this earth and there mm-hmm. are living entities and elements around us that we have to respect. And also that it's a living entity that is protecting us at the same time, but we also need to respect them. So there's this um, one Manobo uh, experience like my friend told me that before they even enter the river they have to bite a stone and throw it in the river t- to say I'm sorry that before I even um, go there I have to ask permission because mm. once I enter the river I dirty the water so how that's mm. this is really really deep value of respect that we are not just entitled to use anything and dirty anything in this earth we are there to protect and to ask with respect and to use this and with such sacredness, the sacred and divinity in this in this uh, beautiful life-giving source, uh, we are we are just consuming it if we don't basically give so much respect or understand the relationship with this life-giving sources around us, and. One of the yeah. one of the most beautiful things, I guess, also 
um, my realization is we live in one of the most, in the golden triangle of the, the biodiversity center in the world. Mm. Philippines is in the gold in that triangle of the bio, biodiversity center, which is in marine biodiversity. And so I always tell the children, if we are given this biodiversity in the world, that only means we are as responsible, thousand more times responsible to take care of it because mm. it was given to us. It is in our islands around us. All this, we have some of the the highest number of species of different species of fish and corals and so but that only means one thing that only means responsibility that means we have so much more to do in this world mm -hmm. to to protect our environment because it would have been easier if you have only one kinds of rock and one kinds of mountain one kinds of roof mm -hmm. but we are given thousands hundred more more than we can actually imagine so there are still so many. I've met um, a scientist from Austria and German scientists who actually always come to the Philippines to name new species of mm. plants and flora and insects. But there are still so much more. They said that was that are still unnamed, <laughs> unidentified. Sure. So it's very interesting. So you know, even for children to learn about their endemic species mm -hmm. and to learn about their own habitat and to learn about the values of protecting your own, um, you know, your own local environment, mm -hmm. what actually means a lot, you know. Yeah. So, so that actually gave me a lot of inspiration when this realization um, for me being born in this country before as a young person, I thought, oh, poor me, I'm born in a poor country. Uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to become? You know, what am I, what is this supposed to offer me? Then later I realized when I climbed more beautiful mountains, I saw a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And later I realized I was climbing mountains inside me. And the mountains that I climbed before brought me into this realization that I am born in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Because I've seen like just so many you know if Pablo Neruda is like saying in his poetry seven green seas and seven I think I've seen like more than seven times seven times hmm. green sea here and mountains and waterfalls and you know all this beautiful god-given mm -hmm. um you know like resources but not only that this country I realize has so much to offer aside from just so many disasters <laughs> Mm. you know the typhoons and it's becoming stronger every year and dive earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and i've lived that in one lifetime so i thought this country has given me so much workshop the complete workshop in life mm -hmm. and i think that made your gut stronger also when you experience a lot of all kinds of disaster and all kinds of experiences like you grew up with that and you become very you know you have you you develop a very strong gut and I think that's also resiliency in one way or the other. How do you survive? How You have to fix your roof again. You have to fix your, um, you know, if you've seen those nipa huts here in the Philippines, like these are made of palm, palm leaves mm -hmm. that we make into roofs. So every time there's typhoon, you, you have to fix it again. You have to redesign your window again or maybe your roofs again. Mm 
and um, it's also teaching us a lot maybe of resiliency and in the same way that uh, we have to adapt to our to our situation or to adapt to our environment mm -hmm. but that um, also now giving us of course uh, making us very vulnerable with this climate change you know this living in this country will always make you very vulnerable because we are surrounded by all kinds of elements the sea you know like we're very open in small islands in and so um also but in on the good side we are so close to nature at the same time you know mm -hmm. you're surrounded by these beautiful colors of the sky and and colors of the sea and i think i have this very beautiful realizations um, um working with children and i realized that it's their first time to really go to the sea and see the corals because they never had a mm. chance to really see it or maybe go to the forest and experience really the mountain then i realized that um really being so close and being able to experience it makes them more responsible then they realize oh okay i want to protect this coral i want to protect this this fish or i want to protect a sea turtle but mm -hmm. it's of course um very interesting that they live in these islands and sometimes they've never really seen them because they never had the opportunity even to just go snorkeling or or you know so those those um uh, camps that we do sometimes we organize it that the children really experience it so they can appreciate more of their environment and i guess um when you really smell it when you really touch it when you really see it you know when you really experience it i mm -hmm. guess there's really something that makes that connection very very special yeah, and there's definitely a magic in it. There's no question about it. And what you described as the, the cultural roots that underpin it all and the respect for nature um, is something that certainly here in the UK we're so far removed from. And I just, I, it gives me so much hope to hear about the work you're doing and the, the young people experiencing that approach because it just feels like that's the future and that's what we need need to be doing. So it's it's really lovely to hear about the work going on. I'm, I'm so in awe of you and everything you're talking about. It's, it's amazing. I hope everyone in the world hears this interview and can hear what you're up to because it's, oh, it's amazing. You. Yeah, thank you so much. There's this Earth Camp that we did, for example. I have to do my own research. So we have a very wonderful uh, anthropologist who research on the legends, you know, of of this of this particular island, and so we incorporated this in um, one of our site-specific theater. So for children to really experience environment, we really do the theater like under these coconut trees, or in this rugged terrain, or by the sea, or by the market, you know. So really, they experience how. Um, to evolve with the environment and how to actually um, also like really experience nature and, mm -hmm. and the contours and the forms and the shape around them. But at the same time, um, they become like role-playing, they become the turtle, they become the, the birds or they become these this creatures or they become these spirits, you mm -hmm. know? So then they, they, they actually um, like literally act on that you know and and become um in, in a way 
uh, experience mm-hmm. being in that element. So it's really good. Like play, theater like play really puts them in that kind of experience, you know, so in that moment. So then they, they can also um, like in, in incorporating the local mythologies and legends in the story, they can learn about the creation stories, the different creation story um, of the local legends, which is really, really amazing and interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's like, for example, there are different names for gods in, in the Philippines, really different names that connote something like the gods for rice or the gods for for um, the plants or the spirits and the creation stories of different indigenous communities has um, very interesting uh, like characters so mm-hmm. so it makes it also um, like you know when you're looking at the now in the in the context of uh, very amazing storytelling now and like the lord of the rings like mm-hmm. you know all this there's actually so much they can get from our own mythology that is mm-hmm. is as as amazing as the sequel in in harry potter or or lord of the rings right so good for them to also connect their own characters mm-hmm. that we have in our own local mythologies we have like also a man of gold who is who rides his um, flying shield and who can transform into many different you know so mm-hmm. there are actually local legends that has also like this kind of superpowers and I guess localizing the stories is very important and that is also for them to connect to their own identity to also find you know like when you are able to appreciate your own culture and I guess the reverence and also um, really allowing them to appreciate their own um, environment, I guess it's also uh, alienating sometimes because especially now that the kids are not so in touch because they're so much into technology, Mm. it is very, very important to indulge them in play and being outdoors and learn the games again and play again and make them experience to this this kind of collective thinking this kind of concern with the collective you know not only for their own individual um you know it's 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 uh especially now that we're becoming more individual so Mm -hmm. i think it's good because we live in these communities where people still know each other's neighbors Mm -hmm. i guess that's still um yeah this is still very special yeah i was gonna ask because i know um it sort of leads on to the next thing i wanted to ask you about because i know you do a lot of work with um incarcerated women and in a sort of social justice um sphere and what you're talking about there about making sure that the individual is connected to its to their culture and to the collective and to the community obviously that's a very specific challenge in terms of incarceration and people who are sort of institutionally isolated and i wonder if you if this would be a good moment to talk a little about how you approach that work and that work that you do in those spaces you know um the kind of uh, work that I started um, is post-disaster work as psychosocial support using mm-hmm. expressive arts therapy. So we became involved uh, in this kind of work because of there's 
because of um, one of the biggest typhoon, Haiyan, which is right after an earthquake, the, you know, devastating earthquake. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we actually experience a lot of, uh, like a lot of displacement and, and of course, um, in the community, traumatic experiences in the local communities. So uh, among, our, among artists, we organize ourselves and realize there's so much work to be done in disaster communities. So not only environmental disasters, but also personal disasters. Mm -hmm. So then it just evolved. So from working with post-disaster work, using theater, writing and music and visual arts, and, and people are able to tell their stories and face it as a collective and are able to, again, regain their, their you know, in, in that sense, uh, begin to find the rhythm again in, in support, supporting each other and find a healing, you know. So it's very important to at least make a safe space again for them and and safe space also and in, in, even in conversation, even in telling their stories and getting that kind of support. So it just really evolved from, my, from the work that I started doing. And in, in one particular disaster work that I was doing, um, for so many reasons, they were not able to really capture uh, and give honor to the people who perish, especially in some of the flash flood, and they were not able to build monuments for them. So one of the projects that I created was monuments from the heart, from, you know, monuments from the heart to be able to, it's like memory building. Mm -hmm. So by just talking about and telling the stories of your community, you're actually able to rebuild. So I call it the inner architecture rebuild, which is the most important aspect of rehabilitation or post-disaster work. Of course, it is important to build houses and to rebuild. But I think the most important part is to rebuild the inner architecture mm -hmm. of each individual. And that is, um, you know through healing and activities like play and which gives rhythm and making it a safe space again for them and and making it a, a loving space i think it's good um healing space you know mm -hmm. so um in this recent work that i'm doing uh kind of like just rippled um when i realized uh where the university where i'm teaching is right in front of i think police station which is actually an incarceration uh, incarcer um, detention cell for incarcerated women mm -hmm. and waiting for trial and I realized that you know these women are of course in, in a way one way or the other um, has been part of a dysfunctional you know family or society mm -hmm. at the same mm -hmm. time as experienced trauma in one or the other and experiencing so much of personal disaster at the same time um, being in a crowded space where uh, maybe 700% congestion rate at that particular time and they needed so much uh, like in a way um, space to for them to have a you know to, for them to have a healing time mm -hmm. and healing space so I thought being in, in such crowded space, you need to have at least a mental space. Mm -hmm. And so the psychosocial support that I created is through this art workshops that evolve into a restorative social enterprise, because I realized that most of them are mothers 
mothering behind bars and who really needed to also have a livelihood and, and who are still the ones who are sending the children to school because most of them are breadwinners. Mm-hmm. So that really inspired me that um, the kind of process-based work that we do uh, has to be able has to be has to be also very creative that we're able to produce artworks original artworks that tell us about the story so that gave birth to indai dolls this particular iconic product indai means mademoiselle or miss so this has to be a very very iconic of our own local culture that resonates to their own character or their local iconic um, symbolic or representation of their stories of disaster survival and resilience so it's it has its own local like local character mm-hmm. to to as, as as narrative as a visual narrative of their own personal stories of their as a self-portrait mm-hmm. so um that evolve as we call it the stories of objects as their stories of personal disaster survival and resilience and that evolved into um, several other uh, beautiful workshops so especially during this pandemic um, we actually created a barter healing festival so the art barter was our way of cultural caregiving to each other. So the women in prison are in double lockdown because the world is in lockdown, but they're in already incarcerated. Right. So they are in double lockdown and the artists are also on lockdown. So then it evolved into a triple lockdown, you know, all together. And so the artists um, on, also on lockdown are able to connect with them when I realized that we can actually create the Zoom workshops. So we did the Zoom care project and the women in prison barter their poetry and their stories with other artists outside who are actually able to evolve and make them into films and Mm. theater and music videos. And Mm -hmm. so the women on the other side, incarcerated women are able to do prison theater and prison poetry. And then we had like live screening and, you know, live, the launch was like a live interaction with all the other artists. And so the women were so moved that some of their poetry that they never imagined that it's going to become a film or it's going to become a poetry or published work and spoken word. And so that really evolved with like collaborating with all other artists from all over the world so basically some of my friends coming from alaska from california from new york you know from canada from korea from java indonesia from all over really from barcelona from uh, montreal from toronto so basically we actually open up and across culture like uh, and beyond the prison walls, mm-hmm. we're able to connect them now to the global community. And it has just evolved. Like I have friends volunteering, doing psychotherapy or group therapy from Montreal and a friend from Barcelona was also doing 
amazing work with them and doing mm. art workshops and book writer from Toronto doing poetry and spoken word artists from Canada uh, it's amazing how each one of your projects evolves into something even bigger and greater each time like I feel like everything you mentioned starts as like a, a very grassroots local effort and then grows through through just sheer community energy I think into something way beyond the sum oh, of its parts yeah I am myself always I am I am myself mm-hmm. uh, always inspired and in in a way uh, this new energy like um, just now again I, I just you know evolving this project into another exhibition where I'm preparing my an, an exhibition right now which is now evolved into a museum adopting it for their arts first for wellness mm. program and it's going to be used also to inspire the um a session for frontliners you know so mm. it just kind of evolve and and it's very organic mm-hmm. most of the time and the, the way we also raise the funds is really like project based but mm-hmm. but it has evolved for so many years now and this project for women in prison which started as freedom in prison project mm-hmm. since 2015 has just slowly evolved which started um which started to be funded by my university for my professorial chair research and then it just evolved and with uh, also some of our students who are volunteering and also becoming part of the process at the same time collaborating with um, the fine arts program and in collaborating with all other uh, people around you know like around the globe and also local artists so it is it is actually uh, very for me it is it has been uh, giving me more inspiration Mm -hmm. and the strength and also Mm -hmm. the way I see the impact on the women and also the way they impacted us in our own lives you know the women um, has inspired me in so many ways because I have been um, greatly impacted by their own process seeing them how they also become so proud of their own mm-hmm. work being exhibited and being published and hearing about their poetry and uh, I guess um, the kind of prison poetry that we do invites deep listening and empathy you know when when you read poetry and when you really listen to what they're saying when you enter the shoes, when you yeah. are actually listening deeply, then you understand um, there's this very deep uh, connection. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's an invitation for more empathy. So in a way, uh, I feel proud of these women who are more than just empowered, but also claiming and reclaiming their own body, yeah. reclaiming their own story by asserting themselves through their artworks and also asserting themselves through their own stories and and becoming active in this conversation about their own you know like about women and about women issues and about their own struggles and their pain because the poetry are amazing they talk about their own struggles the social justice they talk about family and relationships and pain and 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 their artworks are amazing. Every time I see their artworks, uh, I am so happy with our collaboration, you know? Right. When we have this idea and then, 
you know, kind of it evolved because they also give their own idea and give their own design and give their own concept. And then through needlework and embroidery, they can express their pain and their frustration. And I always encourage them to do that. You know, mm -hmm. when you have such powerful emotions and of course you can only do so much in prison, you are restricted in many ways, but right. with artwork, with writing your thoughts, you are free and yes. nothing can stop you from, from expressing and from and, and creating beautiful artwork. So I always encourage them to say, use that anger, use that experience, use that pain yes. and put that into your art and let's see what happens. I wish and you could see me nodding my head along. <laughs> I don't think I've ever nodded so much while someone spoke in my entire life to the last 10 minutes. <laughs> that is Yes, it's spot on. I know that time is of the essence. And so I want to ask you a question that's in line with this, but just a slightly different lens. All of your work is to do with leaving the world better than we found it, right? All of it is to do with helping communities, helping individuals and shifting things towards empathy and community and all of these amazing things you've described. So I think a question I'd love to hear your thought on is what is one area or one thing that you think change makers and artists should be focusing on as we go into the future? Like where, what's something we could all focus our energy on to make the world better or kinder or a nicer place to be for future generations? I guess, you know, when you really feel that you take responsibility and accountability in this world um it is it requires personal commitment it requires creative action which makes your life more interesting mm -hmm. spicier um and then you give birth to more ideas so it's very important to collaborate i i always love to collaborate i love this word mm -hmm. because i guess we cannot exist alone. It is very, it is the collective. You can actually, I always find it boring when I'm just doing my own art. I love being alone. I love being quiet, but I love to see one idea can evolve into a synergistic, powerful uh, collective, you know, when yeah. one idea is shared to a hundred more. So, you know, like creating this one doll and then when I say, oh, what about you? What do you think? How do, how do you see your... What is that color inside your darkness? And then you have like amazing, amazing artwork together. So I guess that's one thing transformational for me is being collaborative mm -hmm. and being able to share ideas and, and share this um, process with other people. But also I think it's very important that um, to create that change, it has to, to come from you, know what you're good at, what you're so passionate about and what do you stand for in life? You know, and if you have only one life as a Filipina, uh, what can I really contribute to the world, you know? And I guess I'm so happy to find myself very productive in, in, in I always challenge myself with, with my five pesos. How can I impact the world? And I guess with what you have right now, it's what you do with what you have. I think that really impacts the world. Yes, <laughs> so I love that. I think That's such a great 
Yeah, because you're given intelligence, we're given ideas. So mm -hmm. I always make this pact with the universe. If you give me ideas, you better support it. Because, you know, <laughs> what for? Why are you giving me ideas, right? <laughs> that is a great pact to have with the universe. You're going to make me think of it. And then I this. always say, when you claim it, you plant the seed, it's grow, It's going to grow. Mm -hmm. It is It is the law of the universe. Mm. Once you um, share, you share an idea, you share a vision, It's you're planting a seed, mm -hmm. it's, it grows. It will grow because it's, it's the law of the universe, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess um, being able to, uh, it, like for me, I, I like to create challenges. Like I know why you're doing so many things and why, you know, but I guess... It's more interesting yeah. when your life is more available, you know, when, when you're able to make, you're more of a giver. Right? Oh, totally. It's, it's the best position in life is you're a giver. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who does community engagement and art, you just have to be a giver, right? It can never be about ego or, or self-interest. It's always about building other people and activating them. And yeah, I think it's it's a really nice sector for that reason. I think I'm one of the only people I know who loves everyone they work with <laughs> because everyone just intrinsically is this kind of person you have to be to do this work. Oh my God, Madeline, I hope I can meet you. And I love the way to listen to you as well. Thank you for listening to my, my, all my, um, you know, uh, all this sometimes, uh, you, you need to have that kind of inspiration from each other. That's why yes. I love meeting people who are also giving me a lot of inspiration. And so I love also to listen to ITAC people mm -hmm. because there's always amazing, amazing, more amazing people doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. So thank you also for, for oh. sharing your story, you know, for sharing this, this little story that we have here. Thank um, you. I, could short listen, time. Yeah. I know I could listen to, to you for hours and I feel like you could have an hour long podcast on any one of the projects you've talked about. <laughs> um, but I feel like we need to, so we always end these podcasts in the same way, right? We ask you like a series of quick fire questions and you just say the first thing that comes into your mind. So oh, I wow. think in the interest of consistency, um, I, I mean, I want to keep this going, but I know I have a time limit, so I won't, but um, how about we wrap up that way? Can I ask you some questions and you tell me the first thing that comes into your head? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, here we go. First question, who inspires you? Um, one of the elders, community elder, um, who gave me a tribal name, actually. One, okay, so maybe it's, uh, so many people, but uh, farmers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, and the second question, what keeps you motivated? Oh, the beautiful generous generosity that I always receive from the whole universe and from very kind people, mm. the inspiration that I also get inspired from the work that my friends and other colleagues are doing when they're so tireless. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're like, and they're like, 70 and 60 year old and they still do a lot more double 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 work than me actually <laughs> like <laughs> why am I doing so little <laughs> oh my god <laughs> who are these people that are doing more than you that's crazy I tell you they're just amazing amazing people that I've I've seen the pillars of this community in the Philippines as cultural mm. workers as as you know like environmentalists as activists I've seen their passion mm. more than anything and you know, one of these elder would just say to you, 
you know you you uh you what what is it that you can offer to the world and 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 that you are actually as part of this community and mm -hmm. it's it's amazing and i was talking to this um in a conference in a, with a current tribe and i was asking him what's the most basic um concept of art for you and he goes art agriculture <laughs> you know how to manage your land and mm -hmm. and produce your food and and work with the elements of the land and the earth and water and he says the highest is water management you know so mm. it's like what it's <laughs> like you, know, you studied all your phd and you don't wow. know this <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah it's just amazing amazing wow. and and sometimes i i listen to this kind of people and i know I just have so much more to learn. I was just sitting down next to like a dato here, which is like a, a tribal chieftain. And I sat down for like an hour and I had like a master's degree, like mm. spirituality. And, you know, so I mean, who are we to be so proud about what we know already, you know, mm -hmm. which is so much to learn in this world. Absolutely. And the children, the children are the ones that really inspired me the most. Well, that leads on to the next question, which is where are you most grounded? uh wow most grounded i guess um the kind of i think environment that we have here poverty and you have to really survive and you have to kind of show kindness and compassion i guess mm -hmm. in in that sense that you're needed and you feel needed that you have to do so much more beyond yourself i guess mm -hmm. um you just have to you know mm -hmm. there's just so much more people who needed more yeah. than you <laughs> yeah yeah okay it's just so much i think it's gr grounding also like living and growing up in poverty mm -hmm. and you have to find ways to create your own toys mm -hmm. and <laughs> make yourself in entertain yourself when you don't have television when you grow up mm -hmm. and i grew up without television and without um uh, electronic cooking set or uh, we have to cook on firewood and we have to wash in the river and we i, I learned to swim in the river I, and it's interesting you don't have washing machine <laughs> it's just grounding enough yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah wow yeah i mean you know now we have it now we have it so it's it's okay you can have the sure. comfort as well <laughs> Sure. Okay. And how do you stay focused? Uh, I guess meditation and um, being quiet. I like, I like also being quiet. I like to be with nature, but um, it's interesting that I get focused when I am doing something, when I am productive. <laughs> yeah, I do too. When my hands are busy is like when my mind suddenly is thinking, right? exactly yeah exactly. <laughs> when you're doing art or you're doing something yes. exactly exactly yeah okay and then the last last question is why change everything changes every second and why do we have to you know hang on too much and you know we have mm. to move like i'm a wind i love to dance i am a mover so i love to to really experience movement and mm -hmm. change and i'm very spontaneous artist Mm -hmm. So I love doing different things all the time. I never repeat the same menu or cuisine or when I mm -hmm. cook, I always do it differently. Mm -hmm. I just I just like to do things differently all the time. So I, I like being spontaneous. That. I'm a wind. <laughs> I love that. 
Okay. Well, that's a great note to end on. I'm so sorry we have to wrap it up, but thank you, Rosa, for taking the time to talk to us about all the amazing things you're doing. I can't wait for people to be able to hear this and learn about it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you to all of you. Thank you to the world. Yes. And we're back. Madeline, this is such a (laughs) grounding conversation that you had with Rosa. I I feel inspired and fulfilled and maybe a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of really great stuff that she said. <laughs> Tell me, what what would you underscore for our audience of things that relate to their work as teaching artists and cultural practitioners? I think there's so many things. I mean, you can hear I was like fangirling through that entire thing. And just like, if you could have seen me, I'm like nodding along and like just so deeply. Um, the things I think I would highlight that are just universally useful to bear in mind I think are the things she talked about about collect um, connecting the individual to the collective and to a community and the idea that um, really that underpins everything and anything we want to do that's going to have longevity and I also think her respect and her um observation of local specific um, indigenous ways of working and using those to activate the local young people's and women's imaginations um, and really rooting it in the community's history together. I think that are some, those are some really powerful things that um, are so valuable and are so specific to what she's doing and, and how well it works. Um, yeah, I find that really exciting. What about you? What did you take? What was your like juicy bits? That was exactly um, in alignment with what, I walked away from listening to that conversation with, and even more specifically for both of those things, sort of honoring the local um, community-based or even heritage-based practices and balancing that with the collective um, thinking, problem-solving impact. But both of those, if you were to sort of extract or pull out a thread of like the pedagogy that was employed in her work doing those two things was based in play and imagination and curiosity. And that is something I think that that we as a society, and I'll speak from my perspective in the United States, sort of discount, you know, um, that we operate sort of in this Western hierarchical capitalistic mm-hmm scenario where play is a superfluous thing and curiosity is only good if it's going to you know revolve around innovation and and making a new invention to to bring in money um and imagination is something that we allow children and that's it and i think that pedagogically speaking, that's something that we as as artists and educators and culture bearers and so much more, we bring to the equation um, that a lot of other people don't. Um, and, And I think that you can achieve really amazing things when you engage in those processes. But even more so if you engage in those processes, which are all fairly individual, but as a collective, I think you're able to sort of shift those 
narratives and problem solve those really big, complex, global challenges, but on like a hyper, hyper local scale. And that to me is so incredibly exciting about her work. Yeah, I agree. I think exactly what you just said, it kind of reminds me of the chat I had with Yasmani too, about gymnasiums for the imagination and sparking joy with those, because I think it's coming up again and again, isn't it, as a theme of and, and Maxine Green about imagine, having the courage to imagine things as if they were otherwise and that being the starting point for for real change and yeah and I think that comes through like so loudly and so strongly in Rosa's work. You know it's funny you invoke the name of Maxine Green which for anyone who is not um, familiar with her work she really kind of led a lot of the discussion some decades ago about um the arts as part of education uh, through Lincoln Center and, and other institutions in the United States. But it, when you just said that, it sort of pinged like a frustration in me. It lit a little mm. bit of a fire because I'm like, people have been saying this for so long. Like, why hasn't it caught on? Like, what's mm -hmm. the actual problem here? What's the question? And part of me wants to say that it has to do, having done no research at all, total <laughs> supposition, but it has to do with the fact that where this transformation that does rely on this radical imagination is always hyper-local. So because we don't see a whole, I don't know, global region imagining together and then changing what they do, or you don't see an institution like, you know, the UK Parliament or the US Congress engaging in play <laughs> and creating mm -hmm. a, a gymnasium for their imagination in order to solve some policy predicament that they're in, we don't often talk about it. So therefore it doesn't create that dominant narrative. And so I, I wonder too about what Rosa was talking about, about utilizing storytelling and narrative building and even almost like mythology and character development as part mm -hmm. of that play, if that could also be applied to the whole notion of how society can transition to solve some of its greatest challenges using these more, I don't know, touchy-feely, woo-woo <laughs> kind of things that that don't aren't seen as like a hard science and a proven mm -hmm. strategy for, for driving that change. And, and it's funny, you invoked the Yasmani interview that you did a couple of weeks ago. And I would say that this, this idea of sort of storytelling and narrative building has actually come up recently, both with our conversation, Ashraf's conversation with um, Dan Hudson from the National Film Festival for Talented Youth, and um, with our recent conversation, um, who was the other person <laughs> that we were just talking about this with? Um, Anyways, we, this has come up a number of times. Uh, Daniel will cut out that section. Uh, but it's in our recent episodes, truly, we've seen how narrative building can change the way that young people are viewed as part of their communities, can change the way that our sector of, of arts and culture and education and social change can be seen in, in our societies. And truly, the power of narrative building is something that we as artists actually have a tremendous amount of impact through, mm -hmm. but often don't see that as our role when it comes to our own work within a mm -hmm. society. God, you are opening a can of worms for me to go, 
<laughs> this is, I could rant for an hour about this of we have been doing this forever. We know its value. Its value is so blindingly obvious to those of us that do this work and those of us in the room and those of us who observe other rooms. But I think we are historically shocking at communicating that value outside of our own sector. And I think until um, people in power and people um, leading governments and institutions are really forced to look at our practice as a genuine form of change making and a genuine form of addressing societal needs. Um, it doesn't shift. Like we do the great work. Everyone goes out into the community. They lead richer lives or they, you know, tackle systemic injustices in, in their own ways. But until there's a collective recognition of the movement happening, which I don't think there has been, then you know, we're still siloed and we're still disjointed. But in and in the UK, it's start well, Scotland, it's starting to shift now where um, prescriptions can be given for art and for cultural activities. And the arts um, sector has remits within justice and housing and economy. And those are overlapping terms now. But just, you know, within the last five, 10 years, is that happening? So Shifts are happening, but slowly and frustratingly. And, you know, my job is to make sure people listen to the impact that we create. But it's, yeah, why it's taking this long, I'll never know. But it's my mission in life now to correct that. I totally agree. And I want to just interject sort of another radical idea from your conversation in with that, because I know when I think about that type of systems change, about truly changing the way that. I don't know, the world thinks about one concept, I get very overwhelmed. It's something that I think of as a, as a driving force in my life and in my career, like you, and we have that in common. But I also think like, oh man, you know, how is this change really ever going to happen? And, you know, you start to like make the to-do list in order to mm -hmm. drive that change and it becomes, you know, a mile long. So you have to balance that too. And that element of sort of self-care is, is really important. And I know in our conversation um, last week with Rachel Jacobs, our co-host, um, after her dialogue with Jackie Cooley and Verena Thomas out of Papua New Guinea, you know, we were talking about this idea of um, kind of self-care um, and understanding how you integrate within a society and a community that you're working with and how you um, balance your identities and mm -hmm. truly think of your own trajectory as being that of um, a kind of radical notion in and of itself. And just the other day, I was actually a guest on another podcast with one of our guests, your guest, uh, Thea <laughs> Neo on the Onions Talk mm -hmm. podcast. And we concluded our whole conversation quoting, you know, Audre Lorde and talking about how the self-care is a radical political act um, mm -hmm. and that we have to really look after ourselves. So one other thing that I would underscore from your conversation with Rosa was just this idea of sort of getting out in nature, you know, resting, taking mm -hmm. time to um, reflect on, you know, where we come from. Um, and rejuvenating ourselves with the resources that we have that usually have to do with our physical physical space. Mm -hmm. And I know you just had a vacation. I'm going on a vacation <laughs> soon. So I wonder if, if you had any thoughts about the role of sort of rest and, and self-care and being out in nature. 
Yes. Sometimes I'm great at it, great at it. And sometimes I'm shocking. (laughs) I always have a phone in my hand and I'm trying so hard to be better at that. Yeah. For my um, holiday, we went up to the Highlands. We still can't really travel outside of Scotland yet, but the Highlands are gorgeous. And I spent a few days in the hills with my partner and we played Scrabble and had no screen time and it was great. Um, And yeah, I mean, the ideas and the ability to reapply myself when I come back from that is like tenfold than if I hadn't taken those days. (laughs) So, I mean, it's essential. And I do think that what Rosa said too about the respect for nature and the recognition we don't own it and that we're guests and that we are like custodians of it is also a really important one for how we conduct ourselves when we're out in nature um we often see here in the UK there's a thing at the moment of pictures after everyone's come together in a park and you know there's litter everywhere and like everything's just wrecked and it's kind of heartbreaking and so I really loved what she said about being the caretakers but not the owners and really remembering that that is your role there. I 100% agree and for me there's sort of no better um, spot than like floating on a body of water. I may, perhaps mm. that's because I grew up by the beach, but that, you know, it allows you to sort of take in, you know, the, um, the tree line mm. in the distance, the, the nature, uh, that's calming the kind of soothing, like ripple of the water, but also the birds that go by or the fish that swims under, or, um, you know, whatever little animals or creatures are running along the, the shoreline. And it is so incredibly rejuvenating and sort of reminding that like, we're able to create a magnitude of change, but we're also sort of just like a small speck of dust, right? That's so much perspective. Yeah, right? it really does. It really does give you perspective. And that's something that I think to your point of no screen time and doing other things that allows you to then come back sort of with a vengeance, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and be far more, I don't know, I don't want to say productive, because I don't think that's a metric that we should justify our lives by. But yeah, just so much, you know, more kind of engaged in, in what it is that we're doing. That said, though, my indicator for rest is usually around day three or four. I have a three mm-hmm. or four day limit of doing nothing and that being fine. And then all of a sudden it's when I'm reading a book for mm-hmm. pleasure that I am struck by this huge idea or when I'm playing <laughs> a game um, outside with friends that, you know, I, I have a revelation, I solve a big problem. And that's actually something that we've started doing at Creative Generation. On, on a quarterly basis, we do a week of rest, a quiet week, as we call it. Um, we talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we had our quiet week. And what it is, is it truly, um, on a systems basis, we schedule no meetings, internal or external. We schedule no deadlines for any projects, internal or external. And we use the time to step away, to rest, to catch up. So some people save really big administrative projects to like sit and watch Netflix for eight hours that day Mm -hmm. and do some admin thing. Other people truly set aside time to like read for a project they're working on, you know, but you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, someone says, read this book for this project. You're like, when am I going to have time to read a book during the work day, you know, Um, or other people like, you know, myself often spend time away from communicating and thinking about problem solving with like a handwritten notebook Mm-hmm. Um, those things. And and so my general rule is, you know, I have three or four days because I know that's my natural threshold before I feel like I, you know, can be sort of productive again. I'm, I'm rejuvenated. 
And then I really kind of apply that um, in, in the way. So it, it was funny in the conversation, I really, it really struck a chord with me when you both were talking about how when your kind of hands were busy is when oh, you yeah. have some of your best ideas. Because for me, that's exactly what happens. I remember mm -hmm. working in a theater back in the day where I would truly create a massive timeline for something in my head while watching a musical. But mm -hmm. it wouldn't happen if I was like sitting at my desk. I could, you know, yeah. I couldn't get past the roadblock. And so the same thing happens when I'm in a cinema and I see a film or, um, you know, live music venue kind of thing. And thinking back on that um, from the conversation, you guys said that one, one line and it sort of stuck with me and I've been thinking about it ever since that's actually been one of the more devastating elements of the pandemic times is that I haven't had those moments to be totally mm -hmm. immersed in something outside of my like day to day that yeah. sort of opens up the floodgates of my brain, like doing other things, being creative, problem solving, whatever. And that is something I should commit to like work on and figure out how to do in an environment that is safe with the pandemic still happening. I know me world. too. It's true. I'm like so terrible at sewing, but I love it. And so sometimes I undertake like dressmaking or like I make myself top or something. And always while I'm doing that or like playing piano also quite badly, but it, loving it. Um, then those are the moments where I'm like, oh, you know what would be great? Or how did I not do this? That's the that's the way around it. Like, it's so true that you have to fully focus and disconnect from everything to like suddenly get a new perspective. Yeah, what a wonderful note to end on. This really brings us to our time to close, but to think about all of these different strategies, whether it be artistic or creative practice, changing our physical environments, being out in nature or, or whatever, to kind of be a radical act of, of personal transformation. We often talk about this idea of social transformation, but thinking about it in terms of, of the individual and how we care for ourselves and how we go about doing our work, whatever that work is. That's a really wonderful thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one simmer for a little while, I think. Well I'll be busy. <laughs> absolutely. Madeline, thanks so much for sharing your conversation with Rosa, with all of us here today. Audience, thanks so much for tuning in for another episode of the Why Change podcast. We'll catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. Our show is produced and edited by Daniel Stanley. Our music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support. Wow.